I'm going to jump into the message this morning. There is a term that is known across the world in military circles, and it is the term friendly fire. Now, friendly fire is when someone from one armed forces, one unit, fires upon wounding or killing someone from their same unit or their same side. As a matter of fact, there's been so many cases of friendly fire over the years. Specifically, there was one instance in one of the, uh, the, the Desert Storm War and the Gulf War where uh, three uh, soldiers called in for an ordinance to be dropped upon enemy that were firing upon them. And on their device, they put in the coordinates of where their enemy were. And after they called in the airstrike, they realized that their GPS was low on batteries. So the person attending it took the cover off, took the batteries out, and put new fresh batteries in and turned it back on, not realizing that when he turned it back on, the GPS began to send a new signal, not of the enemy, but of where they were positioned. And so our, our military, the B-1 bomber, dropped the ordinance and it landed upon the soldiers that called the airstrike, killing them. We heard of Pat Tillman. It's a very famous story. He was a, a, a cornerback or a player in the NFL, very successful player in the NFL. And after September 11th, he decided that he was going to go and stand and fight for his country. And he went all the way to become an army ranger. And he was out in Afghanistan, and they were in a firefight, and he lost his life. And at first, it was said they were in a firefight, but after investigating, they realized that it was two units of the same military firing upon each other, costing them their life. It's known as friendly fire. And can I tell you something? Across scripture and in the lives of Christians across the world daily, we encounter so much friendly fire. As a matter of fact, I've heard people describe it that the Christian army, our church army, is the only one that shoots itself consistently. And you see it throughout all of scripture. I'm gonna, and today I'm going to ask you to make, write down, we're going to have a lot of scripture references, and I want you to go back and read them later. But we're going to start in the book of Amos. The book of Amos. Okay, not famous Amos cookies, although those are good, but the book of Amos. Chapter one of the book of Amos, verse number 11 says this. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity or mercy is another translation for pity. His anger tore perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. One more time. For three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity. His anger tore perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. If you study the history of Edom, Edom were descendants from Esau. The Edomites were descendants from Esau. When the children of Israel leave captivity in, out of the land of Egypt and they go into the wilderness and they cross the Red Sea, there's a point that they come to the land of Edom and they go and they tell the king of Edom, 
we are your brothers. Why? They were the, the Israelites. They were descendants of the same family, the same hierarchy, two brothers that went in different directions. So he said, we are family. Let us cross through your land. We're not going to touch anything. And if any of our animal needs to drink water, we will pay for it. Let us cross through the king's highway and get to the other side. And do you know what the Edomites did? They pulled out their swords and they said, no, you cannot enter. And throughout time, they kept putting down and going against and bringing war to their brothers. And God said, enough's enough. And I wonder what God says when he looks at us and sees us constantly tearing each other apart. It started in Genesis, guys. If you go to Genesis chapter 4, first book of the Bible, it's an easy one to find. Genesis chapter 4, we find the story of the two first kids that were born, Cain and Abel. Their parents were Adam and Eve. We know creation story. God makes Adam, then he puts him to sleep, pulls out a, a rib and makes Eve and, and puts them together. God makes man and woman, tells them be fruitful, multiply, procreate. And they have these two kids. And so Cain and Abel offer to God an offering and God accepts Abel's offering but rejects Cain's offering. If you want to know more about that, go back online, listen to our Blessed Life series. We explained that in part four of that series, okay? So here they are, and this is where we found in chapter four, verse number eight. So then it will be, I'm in the wrong book, I'm in Exodus, my bad. Sorry. I, I got to the four, but not far enough. I apologize. Say, I forgive you, Pastor. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right. Chapter 4, verse 8, Genesis. Now Cain talked with Abel. He talked with Abel, and he said to him, let us go out into the field. And it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Now, Cain, in verse number nine, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? Now, we'll pause there for a second because God asks us questions that he already knows the answer to. The previous chapter, he asked Adam, right? He's in hiding in the garden. He's like, Adam, where are you? And Adam was trying to hide because he had sinned and saw his nakedness. So, so here he is, God's talking to Cain. He's like, yo, Cain, where's Abel? And Abel looks at God, and this is what he answers. I do not know. He started answering God with a lie. I don't know. And then he asked God a question. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to look out for my brother? And God resoundingly answers yes. He looks at him in verse 10 and says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And I ask you the question that God asked Cain this morning. Are you your brother's keeper? And the answer is a resounding Yes. See, we, we, we teach our daughters that they got to watch each other, protect each other. We got three of them. For those of that don't know our family, we got three. We got a nine-year-old, we got a six-year-old, and we got a two-year-old. Three girls, highly blessed by God. 
God told us we, uh, God, doctors told us we couldn't have doc, uh, babies, but, but God. He gave us three. The other day, they get home from school, and um, they're supposed to sit with their grade level before school starts, right? But Alexandra, my six-year-old, she's got spunk, pizzazz. She talks to everybody. She's, you know, she's a version of me. And so she sits with her older sister until her class gets picked up. So the other day, they get home, and Abigail and Alexandra are telling us a story of one of their, Abigail's classmates saying something to Abigail that wasn't very nice and kind of put Abigail down a little bit. And so we're, we're, Patty goes to ask, so, so what did you say? And Alexandra says, I told her, don't talk to my sister like that. And it's like, Abigail, bless you. And it's like, Abigail, what did you say? It's like, I couldn't say anything. Alexandra just jumped in. Like, like I, I wasn't even able to say anything. So we're training them. You are responsible to watch out, to look out for each other. And then why is it that we don't do that for our brothers and sisters in Christ? That our brothers and sisters in Christ, we put down, we talk about, we spit on, we doubt we don't like it when they're having success, when they're doing things. Man, we're the most divided people under the same umbrella. As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 4, put it up on the screen for me. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 4, look what it says. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. If you didn't understand, if you didn't get the memo, we are one. But we allow dem de 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 denominational lines to divide us, congregational lines. People decide to leave one church and go to another and they never talk to each other again. People go to a different church so they can't participate in an event that they have going on. Guys, that's against the heart of God. We're one body. I can show you a text message. I, I, I have a lot of pastors in, in my circle that I talk to and, and, and fellowship with and, and try to encourage. I know that part of my call is, is to minister to pastors as well. And yesterday I was driving down the road and I drove by one of these pastors that I know, I don't have necessarily a very good relationship with him uh, because I don't know him very well, but I've met him, I know him. And so I passed by his church and, and I started to pray for him and I texted him and I said, hey, uh, pastor so-and-so, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for your church, I'm and, and, and the person texted me back and said, uh, brother, you don't understand. I, I was just sick right now. This was such a blessing. Man, I'm learning so much from you uh, uh, of really being united. And I said, it's, it's going to be impossible for us to lead the people of Christ, the body of Christ, to be one if we can't be one. See, they're going to follow our example. What are we doing? Why are we putting each other down? Why are we hurting each other? Do you know what Jesus said? Can we go to what Jesus said? Because what Jesus says has a little more weight, don't you think? I mean, it's, it's all in the Bible. It's all important. But if Jesus said it, we tend to want to listen to it more. Go to, go to the book of Mark, okay? Go to the book of Mark, second book of the New Testament, the book of Mark. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Verse number 42. Mark chapter 9, verse number 42. If, if you have a Bible that has red letters, you're going to notice it's in red. It means Jesus said this. So this is what it says. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, to fall, to be tripped, is what the word means, okay? Whoever causes one of these little ones of mine to stumble, another translation of it is to fall into sin. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Catch the severity of what Jesus is saying. If you make another believer fall, it's better for you to tie a rock around your neck and be thrown into the sea. Then he continues to say, because he breaks it down a little more. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into heaven maimed rather than having two hands and go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Verse 45, and if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter, enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Verse 47, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one and other. So what does it mean when Jesus says for everyone will be seasoned with fire? Fire does what? It purifies. Fire purifies. Salt seasons or preserves. So Jesus says, Everybody's going to be seasoned with fire. Everyone needs to go through the fire of purification. Was Jesus preaching for us to, 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 to be masochists and, 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 and cut our arms off and cut our legs off and do this? That's not what he was saying. He was speaking in a figurative manner saying, whatever is causing you to cause other people to sin, remove it from your life. Remove it. Get rid of it. It's better for you to make it to heaven without a smartphone than to go to hell with the latest technology. Right, we're bringing it down to today's society. It's better for you to make it to heaven without social media than it is to go to hell with a million followers on Instagram. And I'm not speaking bad of smartphones or social media. I'm, I'm trying to drive home a point. Jesus is saying, whatever causes you to sin and be a stumbling block to other people, get rid of it. Get rid of it. You're going to go through the seasoning of fire to get rid of it, to purify, so that then you can season and preserve and be the salt, right? But it makes me ask a question. Do any of you ask questions while you read the Bible? Please ask questions while you read the Bible, okay? So this is the question that I asked myself and I posed to you this morning. We're gonna read the verse one more time. 
But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If a sentence starts with but, it means it's the continuation of something that was stated before. And all the English people said, amen, right? You don't just start a sentence with but without it being a connector to what was talked about previously. You know, Cynthia said in her testimony, she wrote down on her, net, on her notebook, but God. Why did she write, but God? Because the doctor had just told her, you got this, and it's going to be very rare for you to be able to be okay. But God, right? So what was it that happened that Jesus had to say, but I tell you, if you make someone sin, go cast yourself in the ocean with a big old rock tied around your neck. Look at the previous section, same chapter. Go up three verses to verse 38, four verses. Now John answered him saying, watch this. Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he does not follow us. Catch this. Jesus, I saw someone casting out demons in your name, but they're not from us. So we forbade him and told him to stop. Jesus answers and said, do not forbid him for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me for he who is not against us is on our side. In other words, no friendly fire here. Then he continues to say, for whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, surely I say to you, he will by no means lose her reward. But whoever causes one of these to sin, but whoever causes one of these to fall, if you got someone to walk away from God, casting out demons in my name because you were jealous of what they were doing for me, it's better you'll get tied neck, rock around your neck and jump in the sea. Pastor, what do you mean? How are they jealous? Watch this. Continue going back. Go to verse number 13, 14. Same chapter, verse 14. I want you to understand something. The Bible, when they, were, when they wrote it, inspired by God, it was not written with chapters and verses. That is something that was added later on to make it easier for us to read and reference and find things. It was all written continuously, okay? So go to verse number 14. Watch. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them, arguing with the disciples. Immediately, when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? What are you arguing about? What are you fighting? What's this ruckus I hear? Okay. This is what the guy says. One in the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Here the disciples they couldn't cast out a demon. So they run into someone who was actually casting out a demon. 
but said, you're not from my crew. You're not from my church. You're not from my discipleship. You need to stop. And Jesus said, friendly fire doesn't work in this kingdom. Jesus said, stop looking at you and look at him. So I'm going to prove it to you. I, I told you we're going to read about a lot of Bible because I believe what the Bible says, okay? Go to Matthew chapter 16. Go to Matthew chapter 16, verse number 21. Matthew 16, verse 21. Look what it says. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the first day. Leave it there for a second. Read it one more time. Jesus began to tell his disciples, I need to go to Jerusalem. I need to suffer many things from the elders, the scribes, the chief priests. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to be raised on the third day. Okay. Verse 22, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. The the gall of Peter. Rebuking Jesus. Jesus, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Like, like Peter's like telling Jesus, the son of God, the word that was become flesh, the verb, the word of God, the action of God. Peter told them, you don't need to do this. See, Peter had been thinking about the messianic prophecies and the new kingdom. And, and, and they all thought that, that when the Messiah came, it was going to be a physical reign, a literal reign. But Jesus came to give us a spiritual connection to God. And there's going to be the, the new Jerusalem after the rapture and, and after the second coming and after all of that. And we can talk about dispensations later, but that's not relevant to the point. This guy tells Jesus... I can imagine the conversation. Dude, people that are blind, you heal them. People that were dead, I mean, you remember Lazarus? He was smelly, and you were like, Lazarus, come forth, and he came out. Like, like people's hands are growing, the lepers are healed. You don't gotta do this. You are the son of God. And you know what Jesus said to him? Verse 23, he turned and said to Peter, get Behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Now, let me clarify here, because we're living with a lot of snowflakes right now that get offended at everything. This is not offense as, oh, I'm offended because you said you don't like the color red, okay? The word offense means to trip, to cause to stumble. Jesus said this, get behind me, Satan. Now remember, he's not talking to Peter. He's talking to the demonic operation behind Peter. Pastor, you're talking that we can be influenced by the devil and by demons? Yeah, man, it's in the Bible. The spiritual realm is real. 
So Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. You are a trip hazard to me because you're mindful. Your eyes are not on the things of God, but on the things of men. Church, do you understand that when we cause friendly fire against other Christians, it's always because we're looking at ourselves instead of at God? It's always because we are more concerned about what's in it for me and what about me than glorifying that God is working in them? Every time. Now, I remind, let me remind you about something, because I like Peter. Peter. Peter was like, like Peter was legit, okay? Peter walked on water twice, remember that. Some of y'all looking at me like, no, he didn't. He walked on water once. No, 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 no. Read the Bible. Peter was on the boat with all the disciples. Jesus was walking on the water. And they were like, it's a ghost. And he's like, nah, it's me. And Peter's like, if it's you, command me to walk on water. Jesus said very eloquently, come. That's a preaching of itself, right? Because we think that because of our words, God's going to hear us more. Y'all missed that, but it's okay. So, so Peter gets out of the boat and starts walking on water towards Jesus. I ain't never walked on water. My faith ain't big enough, I guess. But then he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he looks at the water and he began to sink. And he begins to wail, Jesus, help me, Jesus. And Jesus came to Peter, this is what the Bible says, took his hand, brought him up, and they walked back to the boat. The Bible clearly states they walked back to the boat. It doesn't say that Jesus walked and dragged him with a life preserver. No, no, he picked him up and they walked back to the boat. That same guy allowed his eyes to come off of God at another moment and told Jesus, you don't need to do this. Another case of friendly fire. A trip hazard. And woe of me if I cause someone to stumble. 1 Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. This here is talking about foods that you could eat that have been there couldn't eat and different things, all right? And it says here in verse number 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Again, you can read it later, the whole length of the passage. He says, Beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block, trip hazard to those who are weak. What is it talking about? Here there were some people that had understood that the, the laws of the foods were not the same anymore in the new covenant. And, and they understood that even if somebody had offered something to another God, they had the conviction that our God is more powerful. He is the only true God and they still ate the banana. 
So this says, so this liberality of yours, this liberty of yours, beware that it doesn't become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have, for if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to the idols? And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Romans, so this is to the Corinthians, in Romans chapter 14, verse 21, different letter to a different group of people, something very similar. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. What is the Bible teaching us? If what you do makes someone else fall, don't do it. Let's talk about drinking for a second, okay? What does the Bible say about drinking? The Bible says that getting drunk is a sin. Getting drunk. If you drink a glass of wine, if you're watching a game and decide to have a beer, that's fine. You, that's not a sin. Now, you drink too many of them where you lose sense of who you are and what you're doing. According to Scripture, that is sin. Now, you have the conviction that it's okay for you to drink a glass of wine. But you're having dinner with a brother in Christ who's a former alcoholic. Your conviction goes out the window. You don't order the glass of wine because my brother can't handle it. Do you get the difference? But you know what we do as Christians? Uh, this is my conviction. It's on them. Nobody. Jesus said, if what you do makes someone else fall, enter sin, it's better that you tie a rock to your neck and jump in the sea. We got to be aware of what we do, of what we post, of what we say, of how we dress. We've got to be aware. You're, you're, again, I'm using a simple example, but you can extrapolate this to everything, right? You're at your holiday party because it's Christmas and work is having a dinner. And you tell everybody how you are a firm believer in Christ and you, there's somebody there and, and, and that, that's dealing with this alcohol issue or a different thing. And you're fine. I, I'm going to have my glass of wine. There's nothing wrong with that. You have the same cup in your hand the entire time. You don't even take a sip out of it. You just have it in your hand because it looks cool and it makes everybody else think that you're drinking it. And there's that other guy that you've been telling about Jesus. Like, well, if they can have it and they're having one, well, you know, they're, they're deeper in the faith than me. So it's okay. I can have two or three. I mean, let's, let's break it down. Can we break it down one more? Your husband's on a diet. And his favorite dessert is key lamb pie. So you go to Publix and you buy one. And you say, honey, I know you can't have it. So I'm going to eat one for you and for me. I'm glad I brought some humor into it. Okay? Paul said, if eating this causes someone to fall, 
I won't eat it again. But as Christians, we're spending all our ammo on each other. All our ammunition, we're spending on each other. Instead, Of using our words, we talked about our tongue last week. If you haven't heard it, go listen to it online or get a CD. They're in the corner over there. They're free. Word of God is given away. We use our words. We use our actions. We use what we do and we say to bring others down instead of lift them up. We're hurting him. We need to be aware. We need to be looking out and ask ourselves the question, is this action of mine possibly going to cause someone else to sin? As you enter into leadership in the walk of Christ, it even gets more stringent. Well, that movie's not that bad. It's, it's, it's because of violence. Wait till it comes out on Netflix or DVD and watch it with your spouse at home. Because whatever you do, the people who follow you, whatever you do in moderation, the people who follow you are going to do in excess. Whatever you do in moderation, the people who are keeping their eyes on you are going to always do in excess. And living right for God is important. As a matter of fact, you know what? I didn't do this in first service, so I'm going to do it now. Because in my walk as a Christian, I'm, 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 for those of you, I'm 41 years old. But I've been 40. 40. I'm 40 years old. Sorry. <laughs> I'm turning 41 in May of next year. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. I'm 40 years old. My mom's like, no, don't make me older. <laughs> All right, I'm 40 years old. Believe it or not, I've been preaching for 32 years. My first time preaching the gospel, and it was through a church uh, that when I came to Christ, was at eight years old. I've been preaching since I was eight years old. I can't tell you how many times I've had people who I knew who were on fire for God, who loved God, see them in the world lost, hurting, and broken, and it's because of what another Christian did or said to them. If you are here today, if you're watching online, if you're listening to this to the, on Spotify later or whatever, if you were hurt by friendly fire of another Christian as a pastor with the authority as a man of God, I ask you for forgiveness today. I am sorry that another believer use their words to wound you, to hurt you, to break you. And I ask you to move past seeing what they did and look to Jesus again. Because Jesus was not okay with that. Jesus told John, don't you dare tell another one that they can't do something in my name. So if you were hurt by another one, I'm sorry. And I pray that you can receive healing from God, from that wound. If you were hurt by a pastor, man, I know I've hurt people 
and many times inadvertently. If I hurt you, I'm sorry. If you were hurt by another pastor, I'm sorry. Because Jesus says that wasn't okay. And I pray that you can receive that healing to walk into the fullness of everything that God has for you. And I pray that your eyes may be open and aware that whatever you say has weight, that whatever you do has merit, that people are watching. And I pray that you are able to look at what may be a stumbling block to others before you act, say, or do. Church, let's keep our eyes open for trip hazards and let's stop being trip hazards.